Welcome to episode podcast 247. I'm Emma Scott, Senior Workplace Relations Consultant, and I'm joined today with Bree Marinia, Workplace Relations Consultant. Welcome, Bree. Thanks, Emma. So, as usual, podcast clues and guessing the topic. So, we're actually doing a few um, clauses today. So, we've got three separate clues. So, we've got the first one on screen. Okay, for the first clause. So, clock. Um, I can see that it's almost midnight on the clock. So, that one might be night shift or increases well, gonna, to night shift. Mm, I'm not going to tell you the answer till the end, but that is okay. a good guess. So, what about then the next one? Second clue, we've got a red switch. It's got on and off. I can see on the bottom it says stop engines before switching off. Usually I would say maybe annual leave um, as a form of switching off, but I know this agreement has a new right to disconnect clause. So I'd say we're going to be talking about that one in terms of being able to switch off. Okay. And what about the lucky last clue? Oh, I think that one's that one's probably the easy one. Um, have a break. Have a Kit Kat. Um, that's got to be breaks or meal breaks. Pretty good. <laughs> so out of them, you've got two out of the three. <laughs> You were I hope close I didn't in... get breaks wrong. <laughs> well, no. Um, well, you were quite close in terms of the clock. Night shift was a good guess, um, yeah. and it is related to hours of work. So we're doing hours of work, right to disconnect, and then also the breaks clause. Beautiful. So what we'll be talking about today is those three clauses, um, comparing them to the old terms, um, just so we can highlight the difference to members. Um, and this is one of many implementation podcasts we'll be doing um, over the coming months for the replacement allied health professionals agreement. So starting with clause 47, which is hours of work, what's the first change? So the first change relates to sleepover at subclause 47.7. And are sleepovers actually relevant to allied health professionals? So we actually don't believe any members require allied health professionals to do sleepovers, which is where you require someone to stay at the employer to, I guess, be available for work. Um, but it was still a change that we agreed to. And what was the specific change? So previously, the employer could pay an overnight allowance, which also covered one hours of work. And then if work was done during that sleepover um, period, it was paid at overtime rates. So now the clause uh, outlines that it's at time worked at ordinary rates with the relevant shift allowances or overtime, um, whichever is applicable. So that basically means it's treated like a stand-up shift. Yeah, yeah, it's either overtime or ordinary hours, and that's really going to depend on what shift is given to the employee for that time period. But usually you'd be getting a night night shift allowance for sleepovers. That's usually when they happen. Yeah, so the next change is a new provision regarding a 10-hour break. Um, we're familiar with 10-hour breaks after overtime, but this one's in relation to 10-hour breaks between ordinary shifts. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So it's a new clause, but it wouldn't, it's not really new to the sector as such, and it's similar to the medical scientist agreement, and we've got it outlined on screen. So that's about 10 consecutive hours off duty between successive ordinary hours that will be reflected in any rosters that apply to the employee. 
Um, but if there are urgent operational issues, uh, there is and there's not at least 10 consecutive hours off between the successive ordinary shifts, then the employee shall either be released from duty without loss of pay until the person has actually had that 10 hours consecutive hours off duty, or what you would do is you would be required to pay them double time until they've actually been released for that 10 hour break. Uh, and really, that was uh, essentially meant to improve occupational health and safety outcomes. And then what about the second clause for discussion, the right to disconnect, which is new clause 47A? Yeah, so this is actually one that is new to the uh, health sector. And what's this clause all about? So it's really intended to highlight that employees should be able to disconnect from workplace on the workplace on their leave and rest days. So originally, Arthur's claim was that no contact should be made on someone someone's rest or leave day um, unless they were on call, which obviously we were aware that, that there's relevant reasons, some of which um, are of the benefit employee for, for example, asking people if they want to do additional hours. Uh, so we knew that we couldn't agree to that claim, but we have um, ended up agreeing to and negotiating a clause that was suitable for all. So can you take us through the elements of the clause? Sure can. So the first thing is really about a statement, just about respecting an employee's periods of leave and rest days, which essentially just underpins the whole principle of the clause. And what's the second element? Um, so the next part is 47A.2, which outlines the restrictions on contacting employees on those leave and rest days. So other than where reasonably necessary, you can contact them in emergency situations. So an example there might be that you've got a clinical emergency that requires contact to be made to the employee or you've got for genuine welfare matters. So an example like that might be that you may not have heard from the employee and have concerns about their well-being. Uh, then we've got to offer additional hours, which everyone's aware of what that is. Um, and then we've got in relation to processes under the agreement. So an example there is um, consultation. People on leave or rest days aren't, aren't excluded from that consultation. You should do that process. And then for any non-clinical matter that requires urgent attention. So there were some things around uh, vaccinations um, during the COVID period, etc. So Unless those circumstances apply, really employees are not to be contacted outside of their hours of work for work purposes. And what about people that are on call? So the provisions don't apply to people that are on call and in receipt of the on-call allowance. Okay, so what's next? So the next subclause is 47A.3, and that's really around education to employees about the right to disconnect clause. So employers are required to indicate to other employees that they are not to contact allied health professionals outside their ordinary hours in accordance with the relevant clause. So it's important to note that that applies to all employees. It's not just about allied health professionals. And how could employers actually do that? So for new employees, you could incorporate the education session into orientation programs. And then for existing employees, basically employers will have to do a communication um, piece to employees about the, the new clause. And we'd really just recommend employers using, using their usual uh, communication methods that they do with staff to notify them of things happening. Okay, and what about the third element of the clause? 
Uh, the third one is centres around uh, technology, which I guess can be a bit of a blurred um, line sometimes. But what we've got on screen there is that it just talks about employees are entitled to disengage from forms of technology that have a connection to the workplace, such as work phones, emails, chat groups and social media. And they're not required to respond to emails, phone calls and any form of communication, including your chat groups and social media outside of their order, outside of their hours of work, subject to um, the relevant exceptions that we've got in that clause. And what happens if the employee um, has some concerns about being able to disconnect? So that's the last element of the clause, so 47A.6. And that really just outlines that if an employee believes that they're not able to disconnect, including where I guess there might be some issues around compliance and they're being contacted um, outside the accepted circumstances, that they are to raise it with their employer and that where the clause isn't being complied with, that the employer has to take steps to rectify it. Um, and then it also just makes it clear that non notwithstanding the um, the statement in that clause that your employees are entitled to raise a dispute or grievance at any time. Okay, and what about the last clause, the breaks clause? Um, so out of the um, clauses that we've just gone through, this is probably the one that's had the most uh, changes to it. So we did do some redrafting, such as renaming it from meal intervals to meal breaks, uh, but we're just going to go through the substantial changes today. Okay, so what's the first one? So it's in relation to subclause 49.1b regarding the timing of meal breaks. So a meal break will, where reasonably practical, commence no earlier than three hours after the commencement of the employee's period of duty and must not conclude later than six hours after the commencement of the employee's period of duty, unless otherwise agreed by the employer and the employee. And then the next subclause, 49.1c, is titled meal break not taken. Yeah, yeah, it is. So firstly, it outlines that wherever reasonably practical, an employee is able to take their meal break and is not required to perform any work during their meal break. So that's your ideal um, scenario is that people should be taking their meal breaks. In, But we obviously, under the clause, understand that there may be exceptions to that. And then that's where there's a requirement of about an escalation process. And what's that? So the escalation process is the same as what's outlined in the nurses and midwives agreement. So what it requires is that the employer will describe in writing the steps to be taken where an employee does not take their meal break to ensure that wherever possible, the meal break is rescheduled and taken during the shift and consideration is given to what caused the employee to miss the scheduled meal break and whether any additional action is required to address those causes to reduce the likelihood of recurrence. And what happens if the meal break isn't actually taken? So again, similar to the nurses and midwives agreement where someone is unable to take their meal break, they get paid at ordinary time rate plus a penalty of 50%. And what about subclause 49.1D? 49.1.D actually outlines what we're to do for the BPEC, so for the Best Practice Employment Committee. So we're going to be doing some review work on clause 49 relating to the meal breaks and it around the rostered shift duty provision. So um, currently there is a provision where you get paid it for time worked and regardless of if you take it or not, and that's quite different to the other agreements. So what we're going to do is see if we can do some work to better align it to the other provisions without um, disadvantaging the existing staff.
So we'll be doing some work in that later on in the year. And then clause 49.2, which is titled rest breaks and tea breaks. Um, what changes were made to that? So we took out the bit of the clause that said timing of the break was to be in accordance with what the employer wanted. And what we've done is we've just inserted a clause that doesn't explicitly deal with the time frame, but says nothing in the term prevents an employee requesting and the employer agreeing to a rest slash tea break to be at a specific time. Okay, and lastly, clauses 49.3 to 49.5 are new. Yeah, so there's a couple of elements in there that we've got on screen. So the first one is that the employer will ensure that the time allocated is consistent with clause 49 so that the employee can take their meal breaks and uh, rest slash tea breaks. So that, that subclause is really just confirming that people should comply with the clause. Uh, the next one that we've got there on screen is that an employee must be free from duty during their meal break and tea slash rest break and can use the time as they wish, including leaving the work area or the employer's premises. So this is really confirming that to be free from duty, the employee can do whatever they want. So if you're saying to the employee, um, yeah, you can have your break, but you're not allowed to leave the leave the employer premises, that's not actually really having a break. Um, they need to be able to leave the facility slash campus um, to, to be free from duty from that time period. So similar to nurses and midwives again. And then the next one is that an employee must be given and cannot be required to work during their uh, tea slash rest break. So unlike the meal breaks, um, provision, there's no exception to people not getting their tea or rest breaks during their shift. Okay, and what about um, subclause 49.4, which is in relation to the clauses 49.3 to 49.5? Um, it's titled Staff Meetings, In-House Training and In-House Professional Development. Yes, so the first element is that except where it is not reasonably practical, staff meetings, in-house training and or in-house professional development will not be conducted during employees' meal break or tea slash rest breaks. So the clause accepts that there may be circumstances where it's not reasonably practical for them to be done at times other than the employees' breaks, which leads us to, I guess, the second requirement of what happens when the training slash professional development and meetings happens in those breaks. Uh, so then the next element is where staff meetings, in-house training and in-house professional development are conducted during an employee's meal break. The employee will, will, wherever possible, be allocated an alternative meal break during the shift. And where that is not possible for the employee to be allocated an alternative meal break during the shift, then subclause 49.1C3 applies, which is that penalty provision that we outlined earlier for the 50%. And then for um, if it happens during a tea or rest break, then the employee will be allocated an alternative uh, break during the shift. And lastly, clause 49.5. So this clause is a new one that's similar to the Nurses and Midwives Agreement, with the exception that it actually talks about PPE changes, but we've got it outlined on screen which is that where an employee performs a role that requires changing into or out of specific clothes and or personal protective equipment that are necessary to perform the work, um, that the employer will ensure that the employee is provided with the time to do uh, this during their working hours. So 
Uh, for example, you couldn't say to an employee set to say, come come 15 minutes before your shift to make sure you use that time for your PPE and not have that be paid as your hours of work. So people need to um, allow people to be able to make that PPE change or um, a specific change in clothes um, at the actual workplace during their, during their shift, not outside of their shift. Great. So is there anything else to cover with these three clauses? Uh, no, no, that's it. That's the main changes. Beautiful. Well, thank you for taking me through the elements of the changes made to those clauses. Thanks, Emma. Thanks.